0: Family, excited to be here with you. If you're a guest in the house, my name is Corey, I'm one of the pastors on staff. Get to be your uh, teaching pastor today. Before we get into that, let me um, uh, just give you a, a quick r- reminder. If we do a year-end offering uh, every year, this has been a staple of ours since we started. Heights It'll be 10 years this year, and uh, every year we take up a sum of money and we give um, basically all of it away uh, to different local. Uh, and global like missional opportunities. And so there should be a, a list that they can throw up on the screen if Matt has a slide back there for us. Uh, and you can see all the different things that uh, we give to. And so African Vision for Hope is a local not-for-profit here. The Restore Network uh, is one of our foster uh, liaisons that kind of helps us with training, serving foster families. Mosaic Pregnancy Center is doing, uh, unfortunately, has to do incredible uh, work outside of Planned Parenthood, man, where they have a whole mobile service where they do ultrasounds for white, or for women, Uh, North American Mission Board Church Planting is just that. It's a church planting. Uh, Global Mission Trip Scholarships this year. We're hoping to be able to fund people uh, to go to Indonesia. And it just goes on and on. Church Planters. And then lastly, uh, Fishers of Men. And so if you're new uh, to Heights and and new to this, let me just kind of celebrate something uh, for you, with you. Uh, Fishers of Men is a non for profit that we partnered with uh, many years ago, seven, eight years ago now. And Uh, The way that we kind of partner with them is they have uh, two different organizations set up. Both are fishermen, but you have on the eastern side of Kenya, they have five different church plants that are there. They do missional communities just like we do missional communities, which actually makes more sense in Kenya than it does here if you're part of a missional community or if you travel globally. You understand that. Uh, Then they have Western Kenya. Western Kenya has the same thing. They have five different church plants. They have multiple missional communities. Um, And then they also had a school. And so whenever we went... Uh, To Kenya, we got to go, and western Kenya is beautiful, it's luscious, it rains, it's green, it's mountainous, it's like unbelievable to go look at. Eastern Kenya is barren, there's like thorns the size of your fingers out there, it's nuts, we're Baja in the bush of Africa out there, it was an unbelievable time. Um, But it's really barren and really, really poor. And so while we were there, uh, we had helped plant churches there. We'd set up a, a well there. We put a mango field in so they could create their own source of currency there. And we were standing there, myself and a few other folks from Heights, and we just felt like the Lord laid on us to build a school, which sounds crazy, but it's totally doable, turns out. This is the last dollar amount that we have to give, $4,000, and we get to celebrate together that we will have built first grade through eighth grade Uh, They're standard one through standard eight, which is huge. Yeah. (laughs) These these sweet little babies, I mean, genuinely speaking, these sweet little babies, four-year-old kids were legitimately walking 10 miles one way to go to school in the bush of Africa and walking back 10 miles at the end of the day. We don't even let our kids open their fridge by themselves, you know? And uh, man, the Lord spoke and he was faithful. And we started that like, I mean, literally like year three. As a church, we had no money, but we knew that the Lord would be faithful. And so that's the last installment we're going to give to completely polish off building a school. So we have a well, which gives them water. First time water flowed in that village ever. We put a mango field in so they could create their own source of currency and money. We've helped establish like how to do and what it looks like to do missional community there, um, which makes more sense there than it does here. And then now they have a school, and they get to sponsor these kids, and the money goes to teachers. It's just been an incredible a mission and so if you ever think you know what does the money go towards like these are the things uh we want to take like we say at heights man we want to take the lord's money and blow holes in the gates of hell with it and that's what we get to do and so when you think what am i giving to the year end you're going to give to that year-end offering and then we're going to give all of that money away with the exception of helping some people get to indonesia so that they can experience uh, global mission trips and within the exception then, of giving to some local you know church planters that may even be here in our congregation now so the whole thing goes to mission make sense pretty exciting, pretty cool. God allows us to do pretty cool stuff, yeah? And so I'm um, excited for that. Oh, there's only been two families that have given, and it's 700 bucks. So we have roughly uh, $39,300 to go. No, no pressure, okay? Hey, just one of you can give $39,300, and I'll sleep well tonight, or all of you can chip in, and we can get this thing done. Amen? You do it to me every year. Every year, it's like the final hour. I'm like, we're $3,500 away, and someone's like, oh, the, the Lord prompted me. I'm going to write you guys a check. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I don't have much gray, but you're going to do it to me, okay? You're going to give it to me. So uh, we are in a season called Advent, man, and uh, Advent, again, uh, it's not, some, some folks like kind of not familiar with the church, think that's like a Catholic thing or a Lutheran thing. It's just a church thing. Uh, all around the globe right now, there are churches from all different cultures, regions, denominations, ethnicities. Like culturally, all across the globe, coming this week, uh, entering into a season called Advent. And so, Advent just means to wait, to long for. And so, for the people of Israel, man, they were adventing the coming Messiah. They were adventing who we would know to be King Jesus. And now we, as the church, we're in a season of. Advent. We're longing for his second return. And then finally, you know, he will split the skies for us one day. And so we too are in a season of Advent. And so this is just a time for us to come together to kind of step outside of the culture and step into an atmosphere of worship where we go, man, we're not going to look like the world. We're not going to look like the culture, right? We're going to come in here. We're going to worship Jesus and the presence of Jesus. And and then we're going to go out and we're going to live on mission. And so Advent then is it's necessary for us to come together to think about, as I said in our call to confession, what are we hoping in? What are we hoping in that it's not Jesus? What are we hoping in that it's not the resurrected Savior, this baby that has come in the manger and been hung on a cross? Like, what are we hoping in? And the reality is, like, we all have hope. And similar to Sarah and Abraham, we also all simultaneously have some doubt. Amen. And so I have people come like, oh, how can you doubt? Pastor, you you study the you get paid to study the scriptures. Well, I want to argue with you right now that I have. I spent 15 plus years studying the scriptures, roughly 9 to 15 hours a week. I, I know quite a bit about theology. And at the same time, the more I learn, the more I find myself in some doubt sometimes. The more questions that I have. Now, the Bible always ends up winning in time, but it takes some time. It doesn't usually happen in seconds. It doesn't happen in minutes. It doesn't typically happen through a Bi- my Bible app. It typically happens. My doubt is spoken into typically whenever I sit with the Lord and I set in the presence of God. And so today, as we enter on we enter into Advent, I just want to talk with you a little bit about Abraham and Sarah's doubt. I'll talk to you a little bit about their anxieties and their uncertainties that that we've seen this season of Advent. I want to kind of camp out and, and look at them. And so I had. Kate read the chapter 17 before 18 because we see Abraham laughing at God whenever God says you're going to have a son whose name is Isaac. You know Isaac means laughter. And so God has some irony in his writing, doesn't he? And so he says chapter 17 Abraham is said that he laughed whenever God said, "Hey, here's what's" or in chapter 14, sorry, he says he laughed chapter 17, he laughs. And then now in chapter 18, which is the text we're actually in today, which is really the crux of the sermon, uh, we, see God, we see Abraham moving from this man who laughs at the promises of God, who laughs at the decrees of God, the covenants of God, to actually having communion. Abraham moves from laughing to communing. And God comes towards him, and he restates this promise. About this time next year, you will, in fact, have a son. He doesn't promise him anything new. He just simply sticks to the promise that he's already made to him. There will be a son who comes, a promised son Who comes. Do you start to see the gospel in that this morning? And so there's a big idea, and it's this. God takes what you believe to be impossible, and he makes it possible. God takes what you believe to be impossible and makes it possible. Hopefully you can believe that this morning. There's three points, and then I threw in a fourth right at the very end, but there's three points here really that I want to camp out in. The first one will be quick. Unlikely company be the first point. Uh, the second point will be unlikely communion. We're going to talk about this meal and this feast that Abraham has. And then we're going to look at an unlikely conversation where God hears uh, the thoughts of Sarah. as She's standing behind a tent. Hopefully, God, that will allow us to take you through this in a way that makes sense. Unlikely company, communion, conversation. Sound good? Yeah. All right. We're together on this? Good. We're going to start with an unlikely company. An unlikely company Chapter 18 reads like this. Uh, and the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Tell talking about Abraham. Uh, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And somebody say, behold. Behold, behold three men were standing in front of him. Uh, when he saw them, that's Abraham, when Abraham saw these men, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Now, if you've been a part of Heights for the last, I don't know, six, seven weeks, you're like, this feels different because we were just in the book of 1 Corinthians, which is a letter written to the church, and now we're in a historical narrative. And so you've got to kind of switch up your mindset whenever you enter into a historical narrative. You've got to be a little bit more of a visionary in your mind, a little bit more artistic. And so picture with me then kind of whatever comes to mind when you think about the Middle East. And picture with me then that there's kind of these tents set up everywhere. You know, if you're like, I don't know what that looks like. Just picture a Coleman, you know. You'll be off, but you'll be close. It'll be better than nothing. Uh, the, the workers are kind of heading in from the harvesting of the fields. You have the, the animals are kind of just lounging around. It's the cool of the evening. Uh, Father Abraham, old, old man Abe, is just kind of winding down in front of his tent, sitting at the entrance of his tent, I don't know, fumbling with the sand or whatever you need to picture in your mind. Then he sees something or someone coming towards him. And he doesn't know, I don't believe the text would reveal he knows uh, exactly who's coming at him because of the term there, behold. But he does know that there's a level of reverence and there's a level of authority and perhaps even awe that has come over him as these men are walking towards him. And we believe that to be true because in the Hebrew, whenever the Hebrew says the word behold, more often than not in the Old Testament, it's a little bit of wordplay. Like the, uh, the Hebrew author here is kind of being, uh, I don't know, facetious or perhaps sarcastic is a word that you could use. And so it would be even be better rendered to say, and you wouldn't believe it. Or like, and all of a sudden, or it just so happened. You guys tracking with that? The author's kind of saying, and behold, like he's really just saying this oblivious man was just sitting there playing in the sand, which is probably more appropriate to think through as well. The author's being a little facetious. And behold, out of nowhere, Old man Abe just sees these men walking across the flat of the desert and now all of a sudden uh, they're in front of him. Well, these three men, as far as we can tell, turn out to be God incarnate as well as three angels. And so Abraham runs out, bows himself in humility, humility, and then pleads with these strangers. He says to them, "Oh Lord, he actually refers to him as Lord, if I found favor with you, it is my honor that you've walked by. Do not pass by without being served. And so there's this unlikely company that's kind of moving towards him. And then they move into now some unlikely communion. I told you the first one would be point. I don't, or be quick. I don't know how to do that with all three of them, but I'll do my best here, yeah? Unlikely communion now. Watch what happens. Watch how Abraham responds. Uh, Verse four. It says, let a what? A, A little water. Somebody say a little water. There you go. You're with me. A little water be brought and wash your feet And rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread. You see that? While I bring a morsel of bread. Just a little bit of bread. Just enough bread to take the edge off for you. Just to get rid of you being hangry. Just a little bit. That you may refresh yourselves. And after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, the men respond to him, well, do as you have said. And so I know we just read it, but for the sake of it being early in the morning, these men roll up on old man Abe and he's like, hey, let me just get a little bit of water for you to wash your feet. Let me just get a little bit of bread for you to kind of, you know, quench your appetite or kind of take, take care of your appetite a little bit for you. And then you can, boom, you can be on your way. Well, we would think that would be a quick scenario that would play out, but verse six, we continue. And it says this, and Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, Three Seas of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes and Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good, and gave it to a young man when who prepared it quickly uh, quickly does not mean the same thing for them as it does for us. Uh, then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they Eight. Now, this is no simple task. In light of Kenya and Fishers of Men, I had an opportunity now to go to Kenya a couple times, not a lot of times, spent about a month there or so total, but um, whenever they would prepare a meal for us, there was no, ex. Like, we weren't hitting McDonald's. It was not in and out It was like, hey, take a seat, drink some masala tea, and, and we'll be with you in a moment. Well, that would be a three to four hour situation whenever they would kill something for us. They would literally have to kill it. They would have to skin it. They would have to then boil it, prepare a whole meal for us, and it would take three to four hours. There was nothing quick. Well, this is no different. There is no simple task. Like old man Abe ain't, ain't chucking chicken nuggets into the air fryer, right, and set it on 12 minutes. This is a, a moment here. Let me make you something to eat. Something small, a morsel, has become a whole entire Feast, even whenever it says, like, he asked for three sias of bread. Now, again, language we don't use. Picture with me nine liters of flour. That's how much bread he would have asked his wife to prepare. Enough bread to feed over a 100 people during that time. They would have had to slaughter this calf, butcher the calf, and then cook the calf, probably by boiling it, which does not go very quickly when you're talking about a whole entire calf. This is a couple hours set aside to be able to commune with these men. This is important to process through the context, so let me illustrate it a little bit more for you like this. Uh, long story short, it's Andrea's birthday today. That's my wife. Happy you birthday! Know? That's it. Happy birthday on three. One, two, three. Happy birthday! There you go. Been practicing that all morning. Uh, longer story short, uh, I got us kicked off Amazon. That's a thing. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but Amazon will break up with you if you dispute a charge they called, they're like, "Uh, it's totally you, it's not us, you gotta go. They broke up with us via email, it was a whole thing, and I got us kicked off, I'll tell you more uh, later. At first, I was like, who cares, you know, who cares about Amazon? I don't don't need Amazon anyway, you know, like, what's Amazon ever done for me? Turns out, overnight shipping is something Amazon does. (laughs) And when you have three days until your wife's birthday, now all of a sudden, you need Amazon. And we got kicked off Amazon. I could not imagine having to wait more than two days to get something, heaven forbid, you know, two days instead of overnight quick shipping. Um, The reality is, in that, they have spoiled us, haven't they? Kind of ruined us a little bit. Well, it's a good picture, like, of our culture. Our culture, I had a buddy tell me, like, uh, people want to microwave discipleship. You can't microwave discipleship, is what I have. I have a friend who... Uh, says that. But the reality is like we do live in like a fast food culture. We live in a very microwavable culture. We want results very quickly. Uh, this is why we don't do very well at sitting. Father Abraham mod- models sitting with these men. We do not do very well sitting. Uh, have you ever sat with someone and you're trying to talk to them about something? They're already thinking about what they're going to say next. Why? Because they want to get out of the conversation. Or you're starting to talk with them about something. Maybe it's even been me. I can space get that on you sometimes. I understand. You're talking to me You're talking to someone else, and we're kind of over here in the clouds. We're already thinking about what's coming next. We don't do well at sitting because we want everything microwave. We don't do every, very well at listening because we want everything very, very quick. We want it overnight, and the reality is whenever you don't get what you want, when you want, and that can be something from Amazon, or it can be answers from God, in the case of Abraham and Sarah, well, you begin to move into doubt. You begin to move. It's not, we don't err on the side of patience. We err on the side of anxiety, And so in those moments, as doubt begins to seep in, right, we become more anxious about what the Lord is going to do. And so I just want to extend to you this holiday season, what might your December look like if you just took some time to just sit with the Lord this month, instead of worrying about how the ham was going to turn out on the 24th, or if you just took some time to sit in the presence of God this month, instead of worrying about whether or not your Amazon shipment was going to be on time for the holidays, instead of rushing the holiday season, church family, what if we just took some time to just sit in the presence of Jesus? Father Abraham is modeling for us something that we have been gifted by the Lord himself, and it's called presence, communion. And so as these three feasted, Abraham stood by as kind of as their servant, watching them, them eat. And let me further push this out. This is worth, I think, camping out in for us as it begins to kill our religious, our religious hearts. I want you think about this with me. If you know the story of Abraham, Abraham has not done anything to deserve God's favor. Abraham was a part of a moon-worshiping pagan tribe. He wasn't like the people of Israel. He didn't walk down some aisle. Somebody didn't hand him some track to believe in Jesus, take him down some Roman road. He didn't go to a youth conference and get saved again, you know, like they do in summer camps. He literally did nothing. He was a part of a moon-worshiping pagan tribe that did not believe in Yahweh at all. And God moved towards him, just as he's doing right now. Like, the Lord moved towards Father Abraham. The Lord has moved towards Sarah. And in this moment right here, listen, in the midst of their family suffering, in the midst of their doubt, in the midst of their anxieties, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords comes incarnate, and he moves towards Abraham. In this moment, and they're, they're communing with one another. But I wanna, what I want you to hear is this. Before Abraham did a thing, the Lord moved towards him. Like that, when you wrap your mind around that aspect of the gospel, it'll set you free from religion. Not just in the month of December, man, but forevermore. Whenever you come to the reality and you believe this aspect of the gospel that says, before I did a thing, God showed up and gave me grace. Before I did a thing, before I prayed a prayer, before I ever served the church, before I did anything worth celebrating in Christ Jesus, God gave me faith to believe in Christ Jesus. God had me dead to rights in my sin, looked upon me, and in the spirit of Advent, man, saw a great deal of hope in me. Not that I would bring salvation, oh, but that his son would bring salvation. Before we ever did anything, the Lord showed up, and he moves towards us. Why? Why on earth would God do that? To commune with us, to invite us into his presence. We were removed from his presence because of sin, and he allows us to come into his presence. Church family, do not take the presence of God for granted, this month especially, but in life in general. This divine visitation, make no, make no mistake, has been met with a divine feast. This is communion that they are experiencing. I read a, this uh, commentary that uh, we read often for our sermons, and one of the authors said this. I, I think it'll be on the screen for you. If it's not, just listen to me. He says, here he, that's God, personally accepts the patriarch's hospitality and partakes implying more intimate and gracious friendship, more unreserved familiarity. God sits under his tree and shares his communion meal. Like, do you understand this is what God wants for you? He doesn't want more from you. He wants more for you. And the way that you begin to understand that is by actually getting in the presence of Jesus. For some of you in the room, listen, I ain't talking about a couple seconds on the podcast while you're driving to work. I'm talking about setting aside time with him. For some of you, he's not calling you to milliseconds or seconds or minutes. We're talking half hours for some. Some of you in the room, professing Christians, have never cracked this thing and sat in silence before it and allowed the Lord to minister to you in his presence. This is the calling on the Christian this week. This meal with Abraham was an exercise of spiritual intimacy with God. Did you even know you could have spiritual intimacy with God? I told the first service, like, you want some practical application for all the type A? I need to make a list for my list, people sitting in the room. How do I respond to this? Pastor, here's what your pastoral assignment would be. I want to invite you to sit on your couch long enough in the presence of God that you feel the seat cushion next to you shift when he sits down beside you. Like, wait on his presence. Wait on him. And allow him to show up. Father Abraham in this moment has been invited to dine with Yahweh. So have you. So have I. We take communion together every week. I'm not initiating it. I still got like a whole sermon to preach so the band don't need to come up. But just to be clear, you know, Mark was on the ready. He was like, "Already," ready, you know? <laughs> Father Abraham has been in- invited into this communion meal. Listen, so have you. You've been invited into the presence of God, which you were removed from because of sin. Do not take advantage of the presence. This is how God functions within relationship with you. He wants time with you, not just this season, but forevermore. And think about it, before guilt sets in, before the enemy starts whispering stuff in your ear, listen, before you even set aside time for presence with him, he's already moved towards you. He's already given you grace. He's already chosen you. He's already loving you. He's already provided his son for you. He can literally do no more for you He's given you everything you need to sustain you in salvation, right? And in so doing, then all you need to do is pray and say, thank you, Jesus, for all you've already given me, including presence. Now, God, help me to set aside time to actually be present with you. He can do literally no more for you. God moves towards you. God wants to sit with you. God wants to redeem you. Listen, before you've done anything, that is the gospel, before you do anything. Thing God recognized you as a sinner and then by his grace gave you new life. That is the gospel. You did not earn it, you did not achieve it, you didn't work yourself into it. I don't know how else to show the gospel is said in seven different ways now. This is what happens the understanding. This understanding, though, listen, will set you free from religion, it'll set you free from the unfair cultural holiday expectations you already feel. Imagine waking up and going, I don't have to do anything today I don't want to do except for be in the presence of Jesus and then let him dictate the rest of my day. Oh, how would December look for us, church family? It would look unbelievable, wouldn't it? This was not just a common meal. This was a covenantal meal. This was a communion. This was and is communion. is about the presence of God. Now, let me challenge you. Your ability to sit in the presence of God routinely, regularly, your ability to set into the presence of God, set in and under the presence of God, reveals the level by which you understand the gospel. If you cannot schedule time to set alone with a God, the God of all creation that has already given you his presence, that reveals your doubt. It reveals disbelief and it reveals unbelief, doesn't it? And so the, the way by which you're willing to and able to set with the Lord reveals what you believe and what you do not believe about the gospel. You want some more practical application. As you go to set aside some time to be with him, I want you to immediately write down all the reasons you think you can't. And lo and behold, Advent season, you'll find what you put your hope in. All the things you write down are the idols of your life. Everything that you're looking to to find salvation that is not Jesus. Your ability to set with God is a gauge of your gospel fluency. Your being in Christ must inform your doing for Christ. You have to understand, he moved towards me. First, hopefully that's a clear enough teaching for you. Abraham has moved from laughing to sitting. Let me ask you this morning, have you done the same thing yet? Have you moved from laughing to sitting? And then we see this unlikely conversation, third point, unlikely conversation, verse 9 through 12. is what I'm going to read. Uh, they said to him, that's the three men, said to him, Abraham, where is Sarah your wife? This is no different than God in the garden with Adam and Eve, right? Well, where are you? Of course the Lord knows, Who ate the last piece of pumpkin pie? Of course you know who ate the last piece of pumpkin pie, right? Like we know, he knows. They said to him, where's Sarah, your wife? And Abraham said, listen, she's in the tent, as if they didn't know. Verse 9, verse 10, this is important. The Lord, in the Hebrew, actually there's Yahweh, the name of God, our God. His name is Yahweh, in case you didn't know. The Lord, Yahweh said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son, restating the promise reminding him of the promise. This is what communion does. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him, behind God as he's speaking. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. She was postmenopausal. Verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? I want to submit here that I love this whole entire scene. I love everything about what is happening here In the scriptures, these are the moments for me as a man, not as a pastor or anything, but just as a Christian man, where the the author captures the humanity of God's people. And I go, man, if you were trying to sell me something, you would never put that in the scriptures. You would never put that our matriarch of the faith, like the mother of all the nations, doubted the Lord. Oh, and yet at the same time, how much freedom does it give us to know that? Like when you read that and you go, Father Abraham... The patriarch of our faith, right? Sarah, mother of the faith. Like they had doubt. Well, who am I to think? Who? Of course, I'm going to have some doubts in you. Like it would be irresponsible of me to get up and be like, "I'm sure that you all got it all figured out, right?" It's like, no, it's incredible. It's like the humanity of God's people is captured in that moment. And if they were the scriptures are trying to sell you something, they'd never put that in there. And so, picture in your mind kind of what we just. Read again. It's a historical narrative. We get to enter into the script a little bit here, and shut your eyes even if you need to, and you kind of have old man Abe, and he's sitting out there around the fire, or underneath the tree, with a couple of guys having a conversation. You have you have sweet old lady Sarah, and she's just kind of literally standing behind the tent door listening. I don't know if you know this, but it's a tent. Like it, think picture a Coleman. It's not like a piece of tarp. It was all that was between the two of between the four of them. I guess is the way you could. Think about it. She's just kind of standing there, right, eavesdropping a little bit or, you know, maybe doing a little ear hustling and and so doing, she's, but she's still like in the shadows, you know, like she's still hiding out. She has not come out. She doesn't feel confident enough to come into that conversation. But hear this, the Lord came to her in her suffering. Like the Lord moved towards her in her suffering. Someone needs to hear this morning that the Lord does not abandon you in your suffering. He doesn't head for the hills in your suffering suffering and your disbelief and your doubt and your uncertainty maybe you're a new christian like dude i still have it all figured out praise god no one does and the king of kings does not leave you in that suffering but rather he moves towards you in the midst of your suffering he moves towards you in the midst of your doubt he's not taken aback by that not taken aback by your doubt and your disbelief he moves towards you in presence he moves towards you in communion he's inviting you to sit with him turns out not even a little piece of tarp is going to keep your thoughts from him he knows your thoughts, right? And so the Lord has come, and he has showed up. And not only that, but he'd come to have a meal with friends. The book of James, if we were to read it, it, says, Abraham was accounted as a friend of God in this moment. This is who God is for you. Of course, she laughs it off. I mean, think about it. It's like the most real thing in the scriptures. I don't know if you realize this or not, but most older women understand how babies are made, <laughs> Right? Turns out, cat's out the bag, you know. Of course she laughs. She's like, after all these years, now that I'm advanced in years, she says, now that my womb does not do what it was designed to do, nor had it prior to this moment. This sweet older lady, right? She's like, okay, you're going to tell me how that. You think I don't know how this works, God? I know how this works. I mean, just picture it with us. She's just kind of standing there behind that. I love it because that's so real, man. That's exactly what we would do. If God gave us some all day, we read, tell me we don't read some things in God's word and find it laughable. Sarah laughs, but then watch what happens here. Look here, verse 13, Matt, verse 13. Uh, the Lord said to Abraham, uh, why does Sarah laugh and say, <laughs> shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year. And Sarah shall have a son. What's he doing? He's restating the faithfulness, restating the promise here in the midst of communion. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. It's like, uh uh uh-huh, you know, like, with God, you know? Just so, first Adam and Eve behind the figs, now her behind a piece of tarp. I didn't laugh, for she was afraid, which makes sense. Like, it totally makes sense, though, doesn't it? I wasn't afraid. I mean, I she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did. <laughs> no, but you did. You did laugh. It's like a total parenting moment right there. Well, I think this is such a great picture of what happens in the lives of men and women who experience doubt. And listen here: if we can't be a church family in this gathering or a church family in our missional communities that allows men and women to come in with their doubt, who are we? Like, what are we doing? What are we in this business for? You know what I'm saying? And so, whenever I thought about that, in light of the some, uh, well, I don't, I have nine minutes and four seconds, so this is free. It's called deconstruction, you know. Whenever people come in, and Christians come in, professing Christians come in, and they don't have a place to actually come and express their doubt or express their fear, or, or you know, there's some things in their story, they're kind of dismantling some of their uh, belief and moving their belief into disbelief or unbelief. If they can't bef- come before the people of God, knowing that all throughout our family tree is ridden with doubt, well, where are they supposed to go? Well, they're going to go into the world, right? And what's the world going to do? Just going to affirm their doubt. Of course you should doubt Of course you should be disbelieving. Of course that's stupid. Of course that. And so doubt turns to confusion, which turns to questioning, which turns to fear. And then what do you do? Well, you run for the hills. Right? That's kind of the scenario. You turn from doubt to confusion to questioning to, to fear is really the formula for deconstructing. So I want to say again, if you're in the room and you have doubts, praise God. Right? To, not to, to be super cheesy, as a matter of fact. If you're, God is small enough to understand, he ain't big enough to worship. That's what an old pastor told me one time. Amen? <laughs> So doubt turns to confusion. Confusion turns to questioning. Questioning turns to, to fear. This is what we see here in the text. But may we be a people that would allow our matriarch to come into our space and worship. Maybe we be a people that would allow our patriarch of the faith to come in and actually sit and dine with us and confess, hey, I don't have everything figured out all the time. Actually, I'm ridden with a little bit of doubt. I want to extend this holiday season and beyond. There are many in the church going throughout the regular rhythms of life, man, going to work, preparing meals, buying stuff on Amazon, walking out, missional community, and you're doing it with a cloud of doubt over your head. Listen, today's the day you can let that doubt go. I'm not saying you're going to immediately hit belief. What I am saying is you can share it with a brother or sister in the room, and we can do a little work to try to get after it, yeah? So they've either forgotten who Christ is, or perhaps you maybe have never known who he is. That's okay. This is a place to talk about it. In the midst of Sarah's doubt. I'm gonna focus back on this. On the midst of in the midst of Sarah's doubt, God moves towards her. I think that's so freeing for us today. This meal between Abraham and God, I believe, in my bones, man, I believe it was more for Sarah than it even was for Abraham. As she's sitting there listening, you know that God knew she was sitting there listening. He wasn't caught off guard. He was like, oh I didn't see that coming. You know, he knew. And so Abraham Laughed previously in the previous chapters, but now he's responding with great hospitality. Hospitality is someone who's actually believing the gospel. God addresses Sarah through Abraham. God knows what she's thinking, literally knows that she's standing on the other side of the tent, knows her fear, knows her doubts, knows of her uncertainty, knows of the disbelief, knows where she's not believing in his faithfulness and his covenant goodness towards her. And in the midst of that, what does he do? He invites her into communion. Like she's not setting out around the fire with him, but at the same time, she's setting out around the fire with him because he knows what's happening. And so God the Father is speaking through Abraham into the life of his wife. And I want you to hear me say this. It wasn't until Sarah understood that she was fully known. Like it's not until she understands she is fully known in that moment that intimacy with God begins to happen. Like church, when you get it, when you get the reality That every single bit of facade you put up, the Lord can see through. Intimacy will come all of a sudden. Like whenever you want to walk around and portray that you are someone other than who you actually are. Man, you get like the king of kings has looked upon your soul and knows you. I mean like knows you intimately. And he, maybe not your dad maybe not your spouse, maybe not your coworkers, he has moved towards you in the midst of truly seeing you, that's when intimacy happens. Like that's when the gospel lays you bare and you can't even begin to think for a moment about turning to some religious nonsense that says, I can earn my way to the king for the king has come to you. Like the father has come to you. The Lord of hosts has come to you. You don't have to do anything. Oh, that's the gospel. It's so good. I mean, just, it's so freeing when you get it, right? Like, God, it's awesome. It makes the holidays so much easier. You're like, I might not even make that ham this year, you know? <laughs> the Lord has saw me, you know? Let me ask you, though, like, do you believe that? I know, I, you know, you're, my emotion's contagious right now, but do you genuinely believe that? That there is a Lord that came to you before you ever did a thing, said, I saw you to your core, and all I can help to do is have presence and communion with you. Do you trust God or do you find him laughable? And you might be here and say, a little bit of both. And I would say, yes and amen. That's called sanctification, fancy word. Do you trust the Lord? In an instant, standing behind a tent, hands full of flour, ridden with doubt, and Sarah knew that she was known and changed everything. If we continue reading in the story, I read a commentator whenever I wrote this a long time ago. like wrote a, wrote a sermon on this text a long time ago. And the commentator said, Sarah's soul was instantly plowed for the promise. Mm. Yeah, I don't know who wrote it, who said it. but Sarah's soul was instantly plowed for the promise. Church family, has your soul been plowed for the promise today? Do you believe that before you could do a thing, God chose you. God loved you. God saw you as the misfit, <laughs> degenerate that you were and said, oh, but in my son, I'll make you a son. In my son, I'll make you a saint. It's about his work that's coming in your place as your substitute, as your soul been plowed for the promise. Sarah came to believe that nothing was too hard, nothing was too difficult, and nothing was too impossible uh, for the Lord God Almighty. As we continue to move into Advent, we're going to see God answering his promises, his commitments, his covenants over and over again. And so I want to jump to Genesis 21, 1 through 7, and just show you God being faithful in an unlikely celebration, an unlikely celebration for us. Genesis 21, 1 through 7. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah born to him, just to be clear, Isaac. Isaac means laughing, to laugh or laughable. Verse 4, And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, listen to me, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have born him a son in my old age. Maybe a story we never get used to hearing, because uh, it's a story that reveals God does, in fact, keep his promises. How does God speak to you in the midst of your doubt, church family? He does so through the word of God, reminding you he is a promise keeper. He is faithful, he is good, he's merciful, he's just, and he always does what he says he's gonna do. Who else does that for you in your life? Nobody. He's good and faithful, amen. In light of this unlikely celebration, won't you stay with me as we move into communion? Team can join me up here uh, on stage. I like this unlikely celebration. I just, I think, sent it to the team a little late. Um, Because just as we can get used to the story of Abraham and Sarah, so also we can get used to taking communion together as saints week in and week out. But I want to remind you this morning that we are no different than Abraham and Sarah. Uh, There's only one hero in the story of God, and that's King Jesus. It's not us. We are Abraham, and we are Sarah, and that we are in the family of God. And at the same time, we're ridden with a great deal of doubt, a great deal of uncertainty, skepticism. As men and women, women and men who profess faith in God, we are ridden with these doubts. And just as God invited... Abraham and Sarah to come and have a communion meal with him. So also, um, this is a communion meal for you. And it's a very unlikely celebration in that just as they didn't deserve that meal or that presence with God, he gave it to them because he knew that a Messiah would come and stand in their place. That he would live a life of perfection that they could not live, that we could not live, that he would die a death, that they deserve to die, that we deserve to die because we don't keep his covenant promises, and that he would resurrect a new life and send us the Holy Spirit writing the thing, the very things we find laughable <laughs> second corinthians says he writes them on our hearts so we never forget them he seals us in the promise seals us in the covenant and so this is a meal that we do every week and it's a communion meal it's a reminder of spiritual intimacy should you take it serious it's a reminder that before you ever did a thing god moved towards you in and through christ jesus that you didn't show up and earn your way into the kingdom of god but jesus christ most certainly did and he is ultimately the promised son He's the better Abraham, he's the better father, he's the better Isaac in that he's the better son. And he's the better spouse and that he has always kept all of his covenants faithfully to us as his bride, as the church. That's what communion models for us. It's an intimate reminder that while we misplace our hope as this candle reminds us, oh man, God the Father never once misplaced his hope. Put it all in Christ for you and for your salvation and for me. And so when you come forward here in a moment, you'll see the cup, which represents Christ's blood that was spilled in your place as your substitute. You'll see the piece of bread, which represents Christ's body that was broken in your place as your substitute. If you feel comfortable, you simply take the piece of bread and dip it into the cup and partake. Or you can grab one of the pre-packaged elements uh, if you wish. Let me read to you uh, 1 Corinthians 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night whenever he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me and the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me listen here for as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes what does that mean? that means we proclaim that we have hope in the one to come The season of Advent we're in, the season of longing that we're in, I pray that the Spirit would minister to you in this moment. Ask Him, God, where do I doubt you? What am I fearing? Where do I find uncertain? Just as we prayed earlier with our hands out, this is an opportunity now to stand up and to move forward and say, I might not have it all figured out, but I do put my hope and trust in you. Show me your faithfulness. So for those of you that are in Christ, this is a meal that's for you. For those of you that are yet to profess faith in Jesus, man, hopefully you heard today who real Jesus is. I pray that you would profess faith in him today and get to take communion for the first time. Come forward when you're ready.